It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Dr. Jeremy Grinnell in studio. He has earned his PhD in systematic theology from Calvin Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan here, and he taught theology at a local seminary for about 15 years. You can connect with Jeremy and find out his story, incredible story of God, of redemption, goodness at bellowingofcain.com. That's bellowingofcain.com. Dr. Jeremy. Good morning. How the heck are you? I'm doing great. Oh, can we say this. that on air? That's, that's well, some, we just did. That's some strong language there. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. The, it's the Christmas season. We're I'm forgiving. Gonna, okay. I'm going to have soap in my mouth here in a moment from Shauna. Ah, <laughs> uh, life way. So, look, looking forward to Christmas? I am. Yeah. yeah, I love Christmas. Are you doing any Bible teaching during the season? Uh, not, not really. I kind of have the season off, which that's is nice. nice. So a yeah. lot of time with family and traveling to see family and things. In fact, we'll leave this afternoon to see my parents for the weekend. And uh, so, yeah, it's a kind of a calmer Christmas for us than usual. And I'm a big fan of that. Nice. Is the tree up? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. When you have children, like young, your children in the house, they, they make sure. You so know, it's, it's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's time for them. My job is to put the lights on, and then the kids go through and do their thing. And I smile and nod at that point. So it's been up since Labor Day is what you're saying. We never take it down. No, no, no. no. We go right after after Thanksgiving. Anytime. I, I am one of those solid one holiday at a time people, so I don't start Christmas carols until I'm all done eating turkey. Can I tell you, I got a Valentine's text yesterday. Oh, I believe it. For Valentine's sales. Like, what? don't wait. Yeah. Literally. I was like, this has got to be a mistake. Run to Meyer and buy your swimsuit now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so if you've got a question for Dr. Jeremy, a Bible question, just text it in, 800-968-8930. We'll get to it, 800-968-8930. And here's one already from Stephanie. And Stephanie says, Matthew 2.11, they opened their treasures and presented him, talking about the Magi, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not your typical baby gifts. Can you speak of the significance of giving Jesus and his family gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Yes. Well, that's a good, it's a good Christmas question. Yeah, begin. for sure. Um, well, the, the first answer is the text doesn't actually tell us. So we don't have like, here's what was going on in the minds of the wise men. Hmm. So we don't have it in that form. However... We, kind of knowing the rest of the story, having now the full Gospels and the history of church reflection on what was going on, um, we can actually uh, say there's probably some reason why the wise men gave these particular gifts. And it usually breaks down something like this. The gift of gold um, was appropriate. Again, who knows what the wise men intended, but the gift of gold to Jesus was appropriate because of his kingship, Mm -hmm. gold being the traditional gift of of kingship. Frankincense, likewise, uh, having strong priestly value. It was used Mm -hmm. in temple worship as as one of the incense there. So you have uh, Christ's kingship being affirmed, Christ's priesthood, the priestliness of Christ being affirmed, and myrrh, of course, being one of the... uh, spices used in the embalming of dead bodies. Oh, wow. So you have uh, almost a, not necessarily a prediction, but certainly a connection with the coming death. So whether the wise men intended 
that or whether, again, we kind of knowing the story can see it now with Mm -hmm. kind of spirit opened eyes saying, oh, my goodness, God was at work. Either way, they may not be an appropriate gift for your grandchild uh, at Christmas, but it certainly was appropriate for them to give these gifts to Jesus, the King of Kings. Do we know if they were holy men? They appeared to, I mean, they were they were certainly reading the scrolls, the ancient Hebrew scrolls, because they knew the times and the places and the seasons. They were looking for the star. So they certainly appear to be, have been men of piety. Um, beyond that, we just don't know. There's, beyond that, it's popular legend. <laughs> they came from Persia. Yes. So certainly, and we know the Jews spent, had spent a lot of time there in exile. So Judaism's claims to the coming Messiah and things like that were known in that part of the world. Um, and somehow in God's good providence, uh, these men, and we don't know if there were three of them, there may have been more, Right. they were watching the signs and the times and they, they understood. And, yeah. uh, so I think there's a good, there's a good lesson for us too, to be aware and watching, uh, the signs of the times mm-hmm. because we're too looking for a King. And mm-hmm. not only were they looking at the stars, the constellations, but they would have had the Hebrew scriptures, I would think. Clearly, yes. They're actually yeah. told, we're told they, that they had searched the scriptures and understood. And if they gave those gifts, knowing why they were giving those gifts, they got it yeah. before everybody. Before everybody else. Yeah, they would have been the first to get it. Because even, you know, the disciples who walked with Jesus, he's telling them constantly, starting in like Mark 12, you know, like every chapter he tells them, it's like, I'm going to the cross to die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And they're like, what? No. Mm, right. So even in his, even in the face of Jesus, they, they didn't get it, but the wise men apparently did. I'm, I, I was wondering if they were holy men. I asked that question just because, you know, whether they knew what they were doing or not, I just wonder if they would have inquired of God, what do we bring and oh, if he would have said, yes. bring yeah. these yeah. three things, because those mm-hmm. show what is about to happen, who is coming, who he is, his authority, his holiness, and, yep. and his purpose. That would, that would not surprise me in the least. And they were expensive gifts. Oh, very valuable. So yes. would the Holy Family, would they have sold those gifts in order to, to live? There is actually, I couldn't track it down now, but there is a possible... A, a, a legend, a kind of a story that I sure. that I heard at some point in seminary long ago, that there is a legend of Joseph actually selling these things, and that's how he pays for the trip to Egypt mm-hmm. and their their sojourning in Egypt. So that yeah. God almost, you know, creates a golden parachute, we might say, mm-hmm. for His own son, um, to make sure that Mary and Joseph, who otherwise would have been impoverished, I mean, they're yeah. they're immigrants to yeah. to Egypt, essentially coming with nothing but the clothes on their back, mm-hmm. running from you know from Herod, who seeks the life of the child. Um, but God in foresight provided for them these very valuable gifts that they could then live on. Now, again, that's popular legend, but it's it very much fits the story. It'd be the sort of thing you might see coming into something like The Chosen, mm-hmm. that they would kind of add to the story to fill it out. So, Jeremy, you know, I always like to think about what would it, have been like to be there in the night Jesus was born, especially to be one of the shepherds. Oh, sure. On the night Jesus was born. First, you've got one angel. Yep. And then, bang, you've got a host host, of A heavenly host. Yeah. So why do you think God chose to reveal the message of the Savior's birth to shepherds? Well, I think that, first of all, you put the question very good. Why do we think? 
because in the end we don't know. It's we're not we're not told. But we all just talked a few seconds ago about the the magi. So here you have uh, royal priestly royal figures sort of coming out of the the, the smoke to here. Um, that God should reach the shepherds. I don't know why, but it's entirely inappropriate that God should do so because the shepherds were kind of the lower end of society, sort of the dregs, the uh, the disempowered. They lived, you know, on the behest of others, watching other people's sheep. And so that God should come to them and, and invite them into the story, if nothing else, it should remind us that God is seeking not just one kind of person. God is seeking the high, the low, the mm. rich, the poor, men, women, every uh, kindred, tribe, language, tongue. And the shepherds represent the people that we would all shun and ignore. And by declaring the, the advent of the Messiah to them, you almost have God saying, you know, they count too. Mm. You know, it's, it's almost the Beatitudes enacted in real life. Yeah, or the foretelling of what this life. What it will mean. Yeah. Yeah, that he has come to not simply, you know, hang around with the muckety-mucks of society, um, but to actually enter into all that the human condition involves, pain, the suffering, the grief, the loss. And the shepherds were in many ways were symbolic of that. I love how after they saw Jesus, they went and shared. That's right. And that's a great prompt for us. We've experienced Jesus, and now we get to share him with others. Yeah, Bernard. Shout out to Bernard listening in New Zealand. Woot woot. Yeah, it's got to be evening. Good morning, Kiwi. Good evening, Kiwi. Yeah. So anyway, it's a question about, you know, the very end of the end of times. And okay. it's about the rapture. Now, sure. the rapture is this belief that there will be a secret snatching away of the church, of the people of God, before Jesus actually physically returns. Yes. Now, I think it's important to say that not all Bible-believing Christians have that view. This, there, yeah, the, the end times, by definition of not having happened yet, um, there's a sense in which we're all taking our best guess. Right. So some believe in this rapture and then Jesus comes physically. Others believe that he's just going to come physically and that's going to be that's it. Right. Yeah. So, and, and a great, I've read this before. It's called Revelation Four Views by Steve Gregg. Yes. And it's really, really good. It, those it, are, it, yeah, it's a good book. Talks about the, the different views the options. of yep. how, how it's going to go down. But anyway, let's say the rapture is, that's sure. the way From it's inside gonna, that assumption. Absolutely. Yeah. That's going to happen. So after the rapture takes place, God's people are snatched away. Do those left behind have any chance of being saved, of being, you know, brought to heaven? Sure. Well, you have you have two moving parts. Again, standing inside the assumption of that particular timeline, um, there's some discouraging things said about the coming of great dis great works of deception. Uh, as Paul says, that even the, you know, if possible, the elect themselves would be deceived, mm. things like that. So you, you do have that, that. That's the ominous piece that uh, belief in God will be exceptionally difficult in that day. The other side of it, however, is um, God is not in the habit of turning away penitent people. Mm -hmm. When people come and um, ask forgiveness and come to God and... Um, and seek restoration, God is faithful. C.S. Lewis uh, makes the comment in uh, The Great Divorce. It says, if a million chances will help, a million chances will be given, mm -hmm. but we will not continue blowing on dead embers forever. Mm -hmm. um, there certainly comes a point where our choices have been made. 
And when that point is, perhaps God alone knows. But the point is, anyone who comes to God, naming the name of Christ, seeking salvation and restoration, you will find God with open arms. Mm -hmm. That we can say because it's the character of God. Yeah, you know, I don't think the principles of Scripture change if the rapture is the way it goes down. And certainly the character of God doesn't. Mm -hmm. God desires all men to be saved Mm -hmm. and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, and the word goes out in that fashion, all to all people, come, leave the realm of death, and enter life. Yeah. And that's always the invitation. Yep. Awesome. Well said. We've got another question from Gloria. She said, can you explain where evil came from? Did God create it? <laughs> the Bible says that Lucifer rebelled against God, but how or why was that even possible? So was the first sin not Adam? Was it Lucifer? <laughs> Wow, how much time do we do we have today? No, there's there's a number of moving parts uh, uh, to that. The the question, yes, it does appear that there was a rebellion prior to Adam and Eve because a tempter enters the garden and the the church and even Judaism long before that have identified that adversary in the garden with a satanic force uh, in that that story, um, etc. So yes, it does appear that there is a rebellion um, prior to Adam and Eve that then affects us. The question of how do good creatures cease to be good uh, is a question, is a thorn in the side of Christian theologians. Specifically, and there's a point that I did some a lot of reading on this, I could not find a church father who actually had an answer, who even offered an answer oh, wow. uh, to the question, why did Satan fall? Hmm. You, you always say, well, it was pride. Well, whence came the pride? If pride grows in your heart, that implies like a prior like brokenness. And if Satan was a good creature, as Adam and Eve were good creatures, again, not to beat the, on the grave of C.S. Lewis uh, too frequently, but uh, he uses the illustration, I think he's dead right with this, uh, a man riding down a straight, clean uh, road on a well-working bicycle in good weather. There is no reason why he would fall off the bicycle, mm-hmm. but he can. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Aquinas makes a very interesting argument here that God is, because God is the only one who is eternal, infinite, all good in God's own self, that all creatures, to be a creature, means to have the logical possibility of failure. It doesn't mean you're going to, to fail. To be created. To be created means you're finite. It means there's a logical, it means if you don't create a vase, the vase that's unmade cannot be broken. Right. But the minute you make a vase... You bring in with it into the world the logical possibility of it being shattered. Mm. It doesn't mean it will be. It's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's not like the fall is inevitable. No, but to simply be a creature means you're not God, which means there is the logical possibility of falling off the bike. Man, this just brings up a lot of thoughts here. Yeah. Shawna, I've got questions got of my own. Yeah, you do too. Go ahead. Okay, I'll go first. I thought it was ladies first. Okay. No, I'm kidding. No, go I'll ahead. Go <laughs> I'll take it. Wow, you just about gave it away. <laughs> I did. I did. You can go first. Go ahead. Okay, so God gave free will. God gave yes. a choice. Yes. He obviously gave Adam and Eve a choice. He mm-hmm. said, don't eat from the tree. Mm-hmm. He didn't say why, but he just put it there because he gave them choice. He didn't want them to be robots. Right. He wanted, there's no possibility of love well, without a choice for good or for bad. So it makes me wonder if, if God set something up like a tree, you know, metaphorically speaking, for Satan. Um, that's, I mean, that's a good question. We don't, we don't have access to, to that material, but it is, it is a very—say um, what you said again. Uh, back it up. My brain just went dead on me. Say that what you just said again. 
Well, without a free choice. Okay, there it is. Thank you. Um, this is um, a, it, it's not a mistake, but it's an imprecision that I used to identify with my students all the time because they would ask, well, why did Adam and Eve or Lucifer, why did they fall? I'd ask the question and their answer would always come back, free will. But you got to keep in mind, free will was the tool. If you don't have free will, you can't choose to sin or do good, right? It's the tool. It's the mechanism sure. by which a fall can Just happen. It's like money. Money's right. not bad. But it doesn't explain why would a good creature use their free will to do evil. Right. That, that, that we don't have an answer to. There's there's actually this long conversation in the church about evil as an impossible absurdity. It makes no sense. Why would a creature dwelling in life choose to leave that and enter death? It's irrational. It's contrary to it makes no sense. It's, But then again, that's the nature of sin. What do we benefit from sin? What do we gain? Ultimately, nothing. Sin kills. It destroys. It makes no sense. It's an absurdity. It's a blot on the universe, and yet it happens. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery. Paul speaks of the mystery of sin, and I think perhaps some of that's at the back of it. It's this thing that can't happen and yet does. Yeah. It makes me think, is there good without bad? Like, if there was no evil, would we know goodness or would it just well, be Well, let me ask you this. Do you have to eat rancid food to know that healthy food tastes good? No. There you go. Why can't all choices be good? Okay, so here's my here's my first question. Here's my first question. Mm-hmm. Um, sin versus iniquity. We, you know, we've been, we're talking about def, define iniquity for me, if you would. Well, I, I may need you to do that. Because... Okay, because my understanding is that sin is the action, mm-hmm. but iniquity is iniquity is the thing in me that even makes that action desirable to me. Okay, if that's and we'll use the, way, the words where you're using them. Um, the idea that a broken character, a broken soul, um, you know, a, a, a soul that in which sin is already dwelling, it makes perfect sense. It's very explicable that that such a person would then do evil. If you have a if you have a broken will, your your wanter, the thing that wants with the, within you that wants is wanting evil things. It makes perfect sense that you will do that. You will act on that, but that doesn't answer the basic question of whence came the want, mm-hmm. right? If God creates good creatures, whence comes even the desire to rebel? You see, there's and and I, and I'm and I'm saying it this way because the church, no one has an answer to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know of a single church father. Calvin throws up his hands and says, I don't know why the devil fell. I can't tell you. It was pride was pride was the cause in a sense, but whence came the pride? Uh, I can't find I can't I don't know of a church father who does anything other than say it's we don't know. It's an impossible possibility. That's Karl Barth's word for it. An mm-hmm. impossible possibility. Okay, I'm not a church father. Mm-hmm. I'm a radio guy. <laughs> and I'm going to land this thing. Please do. Yeah, because this is, we could go forever on this one. So did God create evil in my, as far as I can tell, the way I look at it? No, he did not create evil. Evil does not have a creator. That's the point. Evil does not have an author. But he did create creatures yes. with the ability to choose evil. Yes. And so I think we'll, we'll, we'll land have it. to leave it there. If, if the church fathers haven't figured it out. Yeah. And, and the radio guy has not figured it out. <laughs> well, I'll stand behind you in line then. I think that's our, that's our best answer. And we've got Chris on the line. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, sister. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to have you with us. What's your question for Dr. Grinnell? Well, uh, so there, I, I want to ask about the idea of transformation. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul talks about transformation in Romans chapter 12 specifically. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the more popular one, mm-hmm. but it's kind of an over, it's an, it's an evergreen idea. Um, my kids and I are also listening to the, uh, the, uh, the screw tape letters, um, ah, yes. and, and screw tape has an incident where he is transformed into a centipede at some point in that, in that dialogue. And he goes on the, how, how transformation is, uh, is also part of his father below's, uh, plan of attack too. And it got me thinking that if God is seeking transformation and Satan is also seeking transformation, um, what transformation, um, I guess, I, what does that mean for transformation? What, what, what should we be shooting for? Like, should we be aware that both parties, if you will, are seeking for us to change yeah, so and not stay still? Um, it's more of a rumination question, sure. I guess. But. Sure. Well, Chris, thank you for the, the question. It's it's an interesting question. Since you brought up uh, C.S. Lewis and the Screw Tape Letters, which we've done already today, I guess this is just a C.S. Lewis kind of day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'll refer. That's my kind of day, brother. It is. It is. And uh, I'll refer. You know, everyone who's listening to uh, Mere Christianity, where Lewis actually wrestles with some of these things, and he gives he gives some of the, this image. What transformation looks like is every choice that we make you know, turns the soul slightly in one direction for another. Because the destination for every one of us, how does he say it, is to behold that face, which is either the joy of the human heart or the great and eternal misery. Those are our two options. And every time we we make a choice, we are turning our soul slightly in one direction. And he uses this image of the ship, of ships crossing the ocean, that a minor course correction, just the tiniest one degree course correction here on this side of the Atlantic doesn't feel like much. It's just a lie. It's just a theft. It's just a, you know, it's just whatever. Um, but you, you translate that over the course of the entire Atlantic, you could miss a whole continent. You could mm-hmm. miss the continent of Africa with that tiny right. course correction. So this idea that in a sense, all things are becoming what they actually are, slowly. Hard things are hardening. Soft things are softening. So we all are in progress to become something. And that God's agenda for what God would have us become and the enemy's agenda for what he would rather have us become are both in play. Yes, I think that's, a, it's a, I think that's part of what's going on in the Screwtape Letters is we're given this sort of fictional look into the push and the pull that is taking place in the human heart. Are we going to choose things that orient our soul towards our heavenly father, toward the ultimate good, toward the face of beauty that we all long for, or will in our choices, we cooperate with the enemy and slowly, gradually turn our soul into something dark and hideous because every choice matters. It's not about big choices, making big differences, Mm -hmm. small choices, all choices make differences yeah. in the soul. And we are all becoming something. Mm-hmm. So choose carefully. Yeah. So do you have a quick follow-up? We got a, we got a roll, but sure. do you have a quick follow-up, Chris? It just, it, 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 it flies in the face of the, the common refrain of, uh, why can't I just stay the way that I am? Um, because, because nothing the, does. That, mm-hmm. All Correct. things are changing. God is, <laughs> God doesn't change, but we can't help but do so. you ever wrestle with feeling significant, if you ever just feel like, you know what, I'm just little old me and God's this great big God and 
you know, surely he's not aware of what's going on in my world, nor would he <laughs> care to enter in and be a part of it. I tell you what, that's what the Christmas story is all about, that that God cared so much that he entered into the world to be a part of our lives. But man, we had an experience yesterday morning that just highlighted this for me. So we're doing the show. I get a call from my daughter. She FaceTimed me. And I happen to know that my oldest daughter, Bryn, who lives in the Czech Republic, would be traveling yesterday to Australia to be with my younger daughter, Eden, who lives there with her husband, Grant. She gets to be there for three weeks and they're going to spend Christmas together. So she was very excited. So I knew she was traveling. I thought maybe she's at her gate. She's bored. <laughs> she's at the airport. She's calling mom. So I was on the air. So of course, I didn't take the call, let it roll. We finished the show and she called back and I take the call immediately and I can tell immediately yeah. something is wrong. I right. hear it in the tone of her voice. So she explains to me that she had taken the train from Brno to Vienna, Austria, and she was flying out of Vienna. She booked her flight through a travel agent, and she's done this before. And the travel agent, in her past experience, historically, has always taken care of the visa. This travel agent did not take care of the visa, and they never had a conversation about it. So she gets to the airport in Vienna after traveling from Brno to Vienna to find out that they won't let her get on the plane because she doesn't have the appropriate documentation she doesn't have a visa to enter into australia mm -hmm. so she is upset yeah and who do you call when you, you're across the world you call your mom in the yep. united states right yep. and matter so, how old you are uh, so she calls me and my mama's heart's like my job is to call my daughter and to fix the problem right like i'm like how am i going to fix the fact that she doesn't have the proper documentation to enter the country i don't know but this is what i'm thinking so my first thought was I have just done this because my husband and I are going to Australia in January. And so I have just applied for my visa and got it and everything else. And so I was like, okay, download the app, immediately apply for your visa. She's like, I've already done that. And I was like, okay. Um, and then I asked, all right, so we need to pray. I said, we need to pray. <laughs> She's like, okay. So I'm like, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We know that you're with Bryn right now in these circumstances, and we're asking for provision. God, I'm asking that you would get my daughter on that plane. I don't know how you're going to do that, but I'm asking that you would get my daughter on that plane. I'm even asking, Father, that you would provide a visa for her before this phone call comes to an end. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Bryn goes, Mom, it's midnight in, in Brisbane. So where they're processing the paperwork that I just submitted— it's midnight. Like no one's in the office at midnight. They're not going to see this for another eight hours. So we're like, okay, deep breath. All right. What happens if you miss this flight? Because it's quite possible. We need to consider this. It's quite possible that yeah. you're not going to get on this flight. Yep. What information do you have? Are they going to rebook your flight? Are you going to, you know, they just postpone it? Do you lose the flight, lose the money? <laughs> You know, that was an upsetting thing to say. Uh -oh. It was like, oh, so she says, I, I don't know. I mean, my daughter does not have a great income. This was a huge, huge expense for her to go to Australia for a Christmas to spend Christmas with family there. So anyway, it was all very unsettling. So I said, why don't you get in line and get those questions answered? And she's like, OK. And I said, do you want me to stay on the line with you or do you want it? hang up and call me back. She goes, I'll call you back. And she goes, wait, mom, wait, wait, mom. And I'm like, what? And she goes, I just got my visa. Wow. I said, 
what? Mm-hmm. She goes, my visa says granted. I said, Bryn, hang on just a minute. Open up the document. Look at the document. Do you have an approval number? She's like, I do. I have an approval number. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> get back in line and share with the clerk that you have your visa. So she goes back to the first person that she had talked to who said, we will not let you on this plane. And she shows them her phone. And she's like, I have my documentation. And yeah. they're like, wait, what? did you just apply for the visa right now? And she said, yes. And they said, and you got it. And she said, yes. And she goes, let me see that number. Let me enter that into the system. You know, she's making sure that this is yeah. all legit. So yeah. she enters this the, and it, it's connected to my daughter's passport. Yes, she has her visa. All is well and good. She takes her to somebody else who passes or prints out the boarding passes and processes her luggage. And she explains to him in German, the clerk does, what just happened. And then she says goodbye to Brennan. She goes back to her station. And the man says in his strong German you do not have visa? And she's like, no. She says, or you did not have visa? And she says, no. And you applied for visa? Yes. And you got visa? Yes. Right now? Yes. Wow, he says. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. This so, is this is amazing. I, crazy stuff, right? So she gets all, everything processed. She gets her boarding passes printed. Her luggage is put through all the way through. She gets to the gate. She sits down. She calls me back. She says, Mom, I just had to look. Like, is this really real? Did this really happen? She goes, I looked and I checked the time that I submitted my application for my visa and the time that I received my application. And it was under five minutes. Wow. That's incredible. I know. God is so good. First time in history... An angel stamped a visa. Right? Approved. Boom. Gave a number. Yeah. I mean, it it is, gosh, how did it go down? It just, it it, it boggles the mind. Right. It blows the mind. And, you know, I I wonder, like, did God wake somebody up at midnight and somebody was like tossing and turning in Brisbane and they're like, well, I guess I'll just check my email. I don't know. And then there was this application for the visa and, you know, I don't know. What I want to do is Google... What is the quickest you can get your visa? How quickly can you get your visa? Yeah. What is the fastest time and see what comes up? I'll tell you this. When we reached the six-week mark, we're six weeks away from our trip to Australia, I started to panic. So I was like, I haven't applied for the visa yet. I need to do that right Mm. away. Yeah. And I did. But You can wait till five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Just go to the airport. It's okay. Say a prayer. And you're good. So here's the thing. When she called me back at the gate, I said, Bryn, we got to give God praise. We need to just praise him. And she's like, yes, absolutely. And we did. Hallelujah. (laughs) We did. Yeah. God sees you. God loves you. You matter to him so much. And he is so willing to step into the mess of what is going on in your world today and meet you exactly where you're at And there isn't anything that he can't do. He just loves you so much. I will not forgive him until he comes to me first. I was hanging out at NVP in the sauna. Love going in the sauna. And it was after a workout. And I like to start conversations in the sauna and have had some of the best conversations ever in the sauna. Mm. And this guy starts telling me about his brother who had metaphorically stabbed him in the back in a business deal, and they were in this together. And I said, so what about forgiving him? 
And that's when he said, I'll never forgive him unless he comes to me first. And I said, man, life is short. You're going to let the rest of your life go by and wait for him? Yep, that's wow. what I'm going to do. That's, too, that's a real decision to harbor some bitterness. Yeah, really nice guy. I think he's a believer. Um, he's definitely not a senior citizen, but, you know, older guy. So life is life is quickly slipping away. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm no better than this guy because I let bitterness stay in me for offenses way smaller. The kingdom of this world is all about vengeance and unforgiveness. And the kingdom of heaven is all about forgiveness. The teaching team at Crossroads Bible Church, Grand Rapids, is going through Genesis. It's amazing. You can check it out. I go to Spotify, just search Crossroads Bible Church. But anyway, a few weeks ago, my friend Rod Van Sokoma was teaching, and he brought up Lamech. And Lamech was the seventh generation from Cain who murdered his brother. And Lamech was the ultimate me monster, and he, he was talking to his wives. Hear my voice, listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me a young man who wounded me. So a guy attacks him, a young man wounds him, and he kills the guy. They don't match. You know, he just got wounded. Sure. And he kills. It just shows the the kind of character this guy is. Yeah. And then he says, if someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 70 times seven. 70 times 7 is literally unlimited. (laughs) Unlimited vengeance, violence, unforgiveness, bitterness, slander. I will never, under any circumstance, ever, ever, ever forgive. (laughs) That's the kingdom of Cain, the kingdom of Lamech, the kingdom of the world. It's very obvious to see. Fast forward thousands of years. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. And he was feeling really good about himself. Right. (laughs) No, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. I'm sure Jesus had Lamech in mind. Unlimited forgiveness, humility, peacemaking, letting go of wrongs done to me. I will always, always, always Choose to forgive. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's how we heal our world. So it brings up, how do I become like Jesus and not like Lamech? Right. And the question that comes to mind for me is, how do I not become a doormat Mm -hmm. and, and be taken for granted and victimized? How do I not position myself for unhealthy relationships? And Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If stepping away, stepping away from situations that are poisonous, if you can, if it's dangerous to you. Um, but then you're left with, you know, you've been hurt by somebody mm-hmm. and there's distance now. Maybe there's distance now. Do I choose to hope for that person to be crushed and killed and destroyed and, and you know, maimed? Or am I going to choose to forgive? Right. Those are the thoughts that just quickly come to mind. Yeah, because forgiveness does not mean 
permission giving for ongoing unhealthy behaviors. Right. It's it's just that I'm not going to be the judge of you and I'm not going to be um I'm not going to consider myself the one who determines whether you are right and good or not right and good. Mhm. Yeah, there is a very real life application to this which is I think unique for for me, it's unique for you. I what comes to mind though is, you know, Jesus on the cross, you know, he was he couldn't remove himself from that position, you right. know, and he was, he was nailed to that cross and he said, father, forgive, father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. And he's showing us the way of his kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so that's how we work that out in our lives is the challenge, but to work it out is what we've got to do. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, we don't have, we don't have the option to hold on to unforgiveness, to be like Jesus is to extend forgiveness, not to hold on to unforgiveness. Yeah, and you know what? Lamech lives in me. Mm-hmm. In my heart lives a murderer. And yet Jesus, knowing this about me, says, the judgment you deserve for all your murderous thoughts fell on me. Man, think about that. The judgment we deserve for, for the worst of ourselves, fell on Jesus, mm-hmm. that we're, we're forgiven. And maybe you're in a, a literal prison cell and you have committed murder and Christ wants to forgive you because he took the judgment. Now, there are consequences you're facing, but he took the judgment, the, the ultimate judgment of, of forever separation from God. He took that on himself and you can be forgiven full and free. You can live in the freedom of total forgiveness with reckless confidence. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says to us, you know, who choose to be a part of his kingdom, go, leave your life of hate. Keep leaving your life of hate and join me in healing the world by forgiving others in the way that you've been forgiven. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.